First, I just want to thank the worship team today. Wow. That was awesome. So, um, Garrett's sermon last week, pretty all right, right? What did you say? We said something? Okay. Well, anyway, I thought we reviewed it pretty carefully this week. Leslie and I took a look at it, thought about it, and decided to make just a couple corrections of things we thought Garrett might have gotten just a little wrong. So, first, we just wanted to say, uh, judge people. Don't show mercy to people. And be arrogant. I think that pretty much kind of corrects that stuff that you get wrong, right? Hopefully this isn't on the recording, right? Oh, it's on. (laughs) Just kidding. But, oh my gosh, I personally was very, very moved by Garrett's sermon last week. Uh, Has anyone else fully recovered? Are you guys still? Nope. Yeah. Still kind of beat up a little bit. Um, So I I feel like he preached such a hard sermon that I want to try to one-up that if I can. So today we're going to talk about and settle once and for all a few things all at once. First, uh, we're going to talk and settle predestination, okay? What is and isn't sexual immorality? Just super, super down the line, you know? Whether a just war is possible in our day? Good question. Let's answer it. And if ranch dressing is overrated. So I'm getting a lot of yeses. Very overrated, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. Let's get into it then in that case. (laughs) Oh my gosh, not serious at all. Today, we're talking about a much less hot-button topic. We're talking about wisdom. So, yeah. How many of you would like to be wise? Very good. I was counting on that. That would have been quite a surprise if no one raised their hands. Uh, I kind of assumed a lot about that. Could some of you guys shout out some like street definitions of wisdom? Um, what the word seems to mean most of the time or how? Smart. Smart. Okay. Street smarts. Street smarts. How people, how you hear people kind of typically use it. What'd you say? Like mature. Mature. Okay. I like Life that. Experiences. Life experiences. These are sometimes, I think some of these definitions are actually better than we use it most of the time. I feel like I hear a kind of smart a lot. What else do you guys hear? Emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence. That's also good. That's probably better than we use it. But I like that. That's very good. Being older. Being older. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. The ability to listen, think, and observe before you actually act and speak. Nice. I like that one too. <laughs> Those are good. I think... Um, I think we kind of use it really oddly like that. Like sometimes it's really just a nicer word than smart. You know what I mean? Sometimes we mean it like, you know, some of the things y'all said. But I think um, as it plays into our, our, our daily lives, um, I think we mostly don't really think of God's version of wisdom most of the time, myself included. So I want us to talk about that today. So we are going to be hanging out today in um, James chapter 3. Verses 13 through 18. I'll give you a little bit to get there. Chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy... 
and selfish ambition in your heart. Don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. I'm going to say a short prayer. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for your word and uh, how much it really challenges us to our core. Um, Please open our ears and please quiet our minds and our hearts. Help us to really hear from you today. Um, Lord, help us to hear your Holy Spirit. I just ask that your word would go deep today and um, be something that really sinks in and something that we, we think about that affects how we live our lives. God, thank you for this community. Help us to really seek you for wisdom. God, we really, really need you. Help us to, as we talked about today in worship, increase our faith in you. Help us depend more on you, including with, with wisdom. Here you are, I pray. Amen. Amen. So I um, kept with the theme of doing something crazy and having points to my sermon. So I'm going to have points again today. A little weird. <laughs> but this one's kind of like, like, obviously everybody says like three points are great. You know, stick to three or whatever. So I had four, but this is point zero. So it doesn't really count, okay? It's sort of just a way to, like, get us started, I guess. So, yeah, yeah, there we go. So point zero is true wisdom comes from God only. And this is only sort of a point because I think in many ways this is foundational what James is trying to to tell us um, in this book. And especially in this passage, he doesn't say that because I think he's assuming it. And he's assuming that we know it. and is building on that. He wants to say more than just that God is the source of wisdom, right? So earlier in James, in James chapter 1, verse 5, he does kind of lay that out before following up later in chapter 3. Um, verse one, one, uh, chapter 1, verse 5 is, Now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. So James makes it clear in that verse to go to God as our source of wisdom. And then he doesn't go into a lot of detail like a lot of James' stuff. He says it and he's like, all right, let's move on. Let's get, we've got a lot of things to cover. We've got to do this in a short amount of time. And so that's sort of a a foundation to what we're talking about today. And um, there's not really a lot of steps in that equation, you notice. James doesn't put it like, here's how you do this in a row. He just says, you know, you go to God and you ask God for wisdom and he's the one who gives it to us. So I think that's a really good, you know, maybe we should assume it. But um, in this case, I think it's worth addressing again. And that basic truth is also just baked into the Bible, and it comes up in many places. One of the places that came to mind for me was Isaiah 55. I'm just going to read that real quick. Um, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he's near. Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will freely forgive. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So I think that's a great starting point. Let's just start with a clean slate. 
assuming that wisdom, true wisdom, only does come from God. And we'll build on that today. Um, I also think we, we often, if we, even if we don't want to admit it, look to other sources for wisdom. That's a common thing. We have plenty of options. We've got plenty of other sources. We look to our own intellect. We look to the intellect of others, people around us that we regard and think are smart. We look to books and articles, classes, etc. And I'm not saying that any of those don't have accurate info and valuable information or reveal actual truth about something in our world, in our day. But if it's actually true wisdom that we're looking for, we won't find it there. We're not just looking for information in our lives, especially if we're asking God for wisdom. Those things will always fall short. Our intellect has an end. Um, books have an end. There are new books that debunk the old ones. There are new classes. Things change. If we're looking for information, those are not the right sources for it. And um, there's always going to be new, hipper philosophies. Um, that just isn't how it works. Or maybe some say wisdom can only be found in older stuff. You know, The way things used to be, the way people used to think, that was more right. But is there something we could get a grip on that wouldn't change tomorrow or hasn't changed in the past? Now it would only be God. And just like many of the classic difficulties in following God, it'll take us raging against our selfishness, trusting God more than we trust ourselves to actually count on him for wisdom. So not only does true wisdom come from God only, but God actually does want us to be wise. It's not just that he's a source of it. He wants us to be wise. He talks about that a lot. I think that's one of the points James is giving here by talking about it more than just saying God gives it to us. He gives us more than just that. Um, so frequently in the rest of the sermon, I want to I reference the message translation of this section. It's really good. So if you guys haven't already read that or whatever, if you would, and you want to switch over to that, I'll give you a second to do that. So it's still verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well. Live wisely. Live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. Mean-spirited ambition is not wisdom. Boasting that you are wise is not wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish plotting. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at each other's throats. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life as characterized by getting along with others. It's gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings. Not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. Isn't that nice? So um, I'll be referencing kind of both of them as we go. I hope not to confuse you. I just feel like both those translations have a lot of good, good stuff there. So my first actual point, this is point one, okay, but one didn't count, is wisdom is about right living, not just right thinking. And it's kind of from the sec that section of, do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well, live wisely, live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk that counts. 
And I actually think this dovetails really nicely with what James talks about with faith and works. He talks so much about how the things we believe have to show up in our lives in a physical way, in a way that affects our decisions and how we live our lives. And, and I think Leslie's sermon on that was awesome. So this is just more of a companion piece to that. It's kind of hard to separate these things out. I feel like that's what I kept noticing as I was thinking about wisdom this week is how, well, it obviously takes faith to count on God, to, to count on him to give us wisdom. And so how do you really separate wisdom from faith and, and that kind of thing? It just gets confusing. Don't think too hard. That's my, that's my uh, best advice I can think of. <laughs> um, and as humans, we have the unique ability. We can believe something, but not have it be significant enough to actually show up as action in our lives. Isn't that interesting? We can b- say we believe something and really have it core in our, in our brain somewhere, but it never really show up in any significant way in our actions in our lives. That's kind of odd. And in this case, I think rather than belief without action, as the kind of uh, faith and works uh, divide would be, I think a lot of this problem we run into is thinking. We talked about smart being one of the ways we describe wisdom. But it only ever stays in our head and doesn't significantly affect our lives. It's just thought. It's just thinking. Don't we love to think? We actually have sayings like, it's the thought that counts. <laughs> Which, at least in this context, is kind of crazy. It's like, does it though? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Not with wisdom. But I think there's a lot of things where the thought doesn't really count. We just are trying to be nice to people, maybe. Or to ourselves. So right living, it's about what you do, how you live your life, how you spend your time, how you set your priorities. It's like a really broadly reaching holistic measure of wisdom, not an academic one or not a, um, a how much I've read or done or experienced or not even how old I am, that kind of stuff. This is the measure that James puts forward as how to measure wisdom. If someone was just an outside observer of your life, would they think you're wise? in this way. Just chew on that for a second. Jesus addresses this a lot. He talks about wisdom, even when he doesn't say the word wisdom. Um, But in Matthew 11, uh, starting in verse 16, he says, to what should I compare this generation? Uh, My small group, we just read this recently, by the way, so this will be fresh in our minds. What should I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to other children. We played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet, wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Some translations will say justified or proved right, that wisdom is proved right by her deeds. So think what you will about someone's thoughts, or ideas, or your own, but how does it play out? What's the result? This next example from Jesus is a little bit simpler. In Matthew 7, verse 15, he says, Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or are figs from, thist- from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit. But a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their, th- by their fruit. I think one of the sayings we have, uh, at least sometimes we use it now. I don't know if it's really applicable anymore. But the proof, the puddings and the eating is kind of one of those 
one of those, uh, the same thing, basically, that Jesus is saying here, is that you'll recognize it by its fruit. It's, if it's bad, it will end up having bad fruit. If it's good, it'll have good fruit. It's a different way of saying the similar idea in the past, in the previous one, that wisdom is justified by its deeds. What you put your stock in will show up in your life eventually. That's what Jesus is saying. You will have fruit of some kind. It'll be good or bad. You can't put your hopes in worldly wisdom and then expect godly fruit. We can't plant an apple tree, expect to get peaches. And Leslie used this next verse, actually a few weeks ago, but I think it's great to revisit. In Matthew 21, starting in verse 28, Jesus says, What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, My son, go work in the vineyard today. He answered, I don't want to. But later, he changed his mind and he went. Then the man went to the other son and said the same thing. I will, sir, he answered, but he didn't go. Which of the two did his father's will? They said, everyone he's, he's talking to, they said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. Tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him. But you, when you saw it, didn't even change your minds and then believe him. So I think that's interesting because while it talks about, I mean, the faith and works thing there is interesting on one hand, but also just the fact that um, in this case, the first son did say the wrong thing, so to speak, but actually did the right thing. When it came to wisdom, say he thought the wrong thing or even knew the wrong or right thing, but what he actually did in his life is what God wanted. So uh, what's my take on how we fail at this today? I think there's quite a, quite a few ways. Um, some of the things that came to mind for me was things like listening to sermons and podcasts, uh, Bible Project stuff. I love the Bible Project. Watch everything I can. Listen to their podcast. But how much are we actually letting it change our lives? Or are we just swapping knowledge around? I love to recommend a podcast to somebody. I love when they recommend one to me. Especially if a cool sermon, they're like, oh, this one hits hard. It's awesome. Are we just swapping it around, or is it actually changing our lives? Mm, that's good. I am 100% guilty of this. I want the new juicy bit of knowledge. I want to suck all the nectar out of it, and then move on to the next thing. Someone brings up something I already listened to. Eh, I listened to that like a year ago or whatever. I can just be like a little Jesus knowledge vampire, okay? <laughs> Instead of a Jesus follower. And I think we can all be a little bit like that. I might be the worst. So does that resonate with any of you guys? Searching for the knowledge, liking to receive it in, but the life change is actually not that important. Yeah. Okay, good. I was hoping I wasn't the worst one up here. So, and, and maybe some of you, do, you guys don't actually search out for sermons or podcasts and books and stuff. You're not actually trying to look for all that stuff. You're not the same way. But the same question I think would be posed to you is about how you live your life. Is it in a godly wisdom kind of way? So uh, one of the things that came to mind for me was my first impression of this community, so in 2011, it's my, I've been here for 10 years um, in this, this town. In 2011, I moved here to go to school at UNT, and I was not looking to be part of a Christian community at all. In fact, the one I'd kind of grown up in was pretty dysfunctional, like most are, but um, there was a lot of knowledge. A lot of people knew the Bible really, really well. Our pastor was very smart. Um, and now a good amount of this is just my own rebellion and my own, like, want to do my own thing. But when I was coming to college, 
I didn't go to a Christian school like my older brother did, partly because it was very expensive, um, but also because I was like, I want to be able to go out and go do my own thing and be separate from all of that. But by happenstance, a longer story, I ended up getting, being around focused students. And what stuck out to me was not their knowledge of the Bible or their knowledge of God. You know what I mean? In fact, for a while, I probably couldn't even tell who actually knew more about God than the other. For if the first thing that really stuck out to me was the way they lived their lives. There was this openness, this welcomeness, this invitingness. They cared about me quickly without even knowing any value I might, may or may not have to their life. And that really, really stuck out to me. I'm not saying that everyone from my church growing up wasn't like that. But for me, this was new and actually made a difference. People who were letting God's wisdom affect how they live their life literally changed my life. I do not know where I'd be if it was not for focus, okay? And it could have been just a couple people, you know? It might not have been everybody, who knows? But that changed my life. The direction of my life was changed that day. And that, um, I think <clears throat> we have a lot of good stories like that. But we have to keep, keep our eyes on, on that. It doesn't happen on accident. The people who reached out to me, who were Jesus to me and showed um, and let that affect the way they live their lives, that wasn't an accident. You know, they had to try. They had to actually work at that. So what should wisdom look like actually when we see it? And James, I think, paints an interesting picture of this. There's two main things that stand out to me. The first, this is my second point, is that wisdom begets humility, not arrogance. Wisdom begets humility, not arrogance. The, this, I mean, this, the kind of whole, that is in the whole thing, really, but that section that spoke to me about that was mean-spirited ambition is not wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise is not wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish plotting. I think the kind of arrogance he's describing there could show up in a worldly way, in a really obvious way, but I don't think it always does. Like, I don't think I'm seeing, like, cunning, devilish plotting a lot. But I don't think it has to show up that way either. I think it can come in really quieter forms. Whether we make an obvious, out loud kind of thing or not, we let human knowledge allow us to think highly of ourselves a lot of times. It's pretty easy. I learn something cool, learn something new. I start to think a little bit better of myself than other people or than lots of people. Any of you who have ever been on the receiving end of a conversation with me about coffee have experienced this kind of arrogance firsthand. I'm, and I'm very sorry. <laughs> Sammy, where's Ryan? Is he not here? Okay, well, just apologize for me, if you will. Okay. <laughs> Make it sound better than that, though. Okay, thank you. And on the flip side of that, I think we see that the humility side of that very, very well exemplified in Jesus. Not just what he said, but also how he lived his life. One of the things that stood out to me, actually I had a few, it was hard to pick. But in Matthew 20, 25, Jesus, uh, this is... Let me give some context, but basically um, he's talking to the disciples. Well, it might be fine. We'll just see if this makes sense. Jesus called them over and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Those in high positions act as, ty act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be, become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. In the same section there, Jesus is both asking them to serve 
commanding them to, that's saying that's the way to do it, and explaining that he does that too, not asking something that he's not doing. And he's going to serve in, uh, in a much bigger way than, than they even really realize, and then we are called to, is to lay down his life for all of us. Another one is in John 5, verse 19. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, the son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son likewise does these things. Jesus maintains that many areas in the gospels where he continues to humble himself uh, relative to the father. He makes it so clear. He wouldn't have to say that if he didn't want to, I'm sure, in some ways. But he makes it clear as often as he can that he's only doing what God tells him to do. That he is a servant to God. But he's actually God. He's actually the son of God. And yet he maybe has fewer reasons, um, the least reasons of anyone ever, to be humble. He is as often as he can be. Another another one that sounds really similar to that one is in John 8. Um, Jesus said to them, when you lift up the son of man, then you'll know that I'm he. I do nothing on my own. Just as the father taught me, I say these things. The one who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone because I always do what pleases him. Jesus models that humility so well. I think we can learn a lot from just watching um, and listening to what Jesus says. And I think James takes it an extra step by boiling it down for us. It's really kind of James. Um, You could make an argument that we don't need it if we just look at Jesus' life. Paul talks about wisdom a lot too. And there's one section that's kind of long, so bear with me. If you want to follow along, it might be a good idea because it's long. 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 18. Um, Paul kind of goes ham on uh, wisdom of the world here. So, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it's the power of God to us who are being saved. For it's written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise. I'll set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who's wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where's the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believed through the foolishness of what was preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful. Not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what's viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It's from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. In order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Man, that's interesting. These guys are using wisdom in strange ways based on how we use it. That Jesus is this embodiment of wisdom. 
and that to many it would seem like foolishness. God's foolishness is higher than our wisdom. It's just so interesting. So how do, we, how do I see this going wrong in our culture on this side of things, the humility versus arrogance kind of deal? I think it's pretty obvious that this divide shows up in our Western culture a lot. Arrogance is celebrated. It's rewarded. It gets you the top job. It gets you elected. I'd wager that it's unfortunately not been that different in the church either in a lot of ways. Um, where we're known for our celebrity pastors, <laughs> you know, people who I wouldn't describe as humble. Uh, don't, don't seem to try to be being that way anyway. And some of them might think that humble is an expensive brand collaboration between Kendrick Lamar and Supreme or something like that. <laughs> so I was listening to this podcast that Caperton recommended to me this week about the rise and fall of Mars Hill, which is a church over in Washington. You don't have to know all that background. Basically, the story goes that this, this pastor who was a believer, really good guy in a lot of ways, only became more and more arrogant and less and less accountable over time. And it crashed and burned and caused a lot of you know, heartache for people. And it, it certainly didn't do a great service to us as the larger church to have a situation like that. The podcast is super interesting. Um, what's it called? The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Okay, sweet. Pretty easy. <laughs> Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It's pretty interesting to listen to. Because, you know, we hear a lot of the, the horrible stories um, about a huge moral fallout that causes a, a massive church to kind of fall apart. And this one's interesting because it's just arrogance, basically, <laughs> that causes it. You can't find a lot of the other things there that, that have been more obvious in other stories. So if you're into podcasts, if you want to trade some knowledge around, there you go. Um, hope it turns into wisdom for us. So that's, that's one of the things that I think uh, I see that in our culture. And I think it's easy for it to seep into our own small little church here. We don't have a you know celebrity um, pastor and all that stuff. But I think... Yeah, Leslie is a celebrity, that's true. But for all the right reasons? Yes. Okay. So we're better, all right? We're better than them. But I think uh, most of us, because of our culture around this, will start on the wrong foot when it comes to humility and arrogance. And wisdom begetting humility should really challenge us. That's good. You know? It should, it should challenge where we're currently at, cause some change, changes and realignment in us. So one of the people that came to mind when I think of humility actually always comes to mind for me is my grandmother. So my mom's mom, she lived in the same town that we lived in growing up, so I got to see her all the time. She was a very, very solid believer, one of the most devout I probably ever knew. And one of the things that's so interesting as a kid, and maybe it's just because, you know, I wasn't paying attention to everything, mostly trying to play video games and stuff, but while she spent a lot of time in the Word, she went to church all the time, was always in Bible study, all those things. Um, when she, she died when I was in high school, what almost everyone talked about at her memorial, and there are tons of people there, was her like just relatability, humility, her generosity. And I didn't hear one person say something about, you know, she knew so much. She, no one ever remarked on that. That didn't affect their lives in that way. It didn't actually change their lives. I remember one time being a little bit jealous because I, we went over to her house and there was another kid there. And she was very, being very grandmotherly to her, to him, I think, actually, as a boy. But um, I was so jealous because, like, the kid was, like, playing with the toys that my grandmother kept there for us and stuff. And I found out later that that kid was, in, like, a really tough family. And my grandmother was giving uh, that kid's mom a break. I was watching that kid and being a grandmother to, to that kid that didn't have one. And I was, like, that I was being, obviously, a 
spoiled little brat. But that's the kind of stuff my grandmother did all the time and the stuff that people remembered her for. It was the way that she actually let wisdom, when she went and read scripture, she let it affect how she lived her life, not just stored up knowledge in her head. And that is what made a difference, and that's what made people experience God's love firsthand through her, was because she let it change her life. Um, my third point is that wisdom begets peace, not division. Wisdom begets peace, not division. The section I'm pulling this from is in the uh, verses 17 and 18 in the message section. Um, actually, I'm going to read both, but real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It's gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. But I also really liked how this is closed up in the um, non-message version. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Gosh, that is so killer. I like just feel that when I read it. It feels feel in my gut. And I just feel like it's a bold statement for James to make too, in some ways. The humility and arrogance thing seems like very much there and it seems a little less, I don't know, bold. But to go this extra far, like the linkage of wisdom to humility does seem like it's there. We have some evidence of it. It's, it's kind of more plainly put in the text. But then going the extra mile to wisdom from wisdom to peace, that seems to me at least like a much bolder statement. Like he's, he's uh, really saying something big there. That's good. I don't know if you've ever been in a, bunch, in a room with a bunch of smart people all together. Um, but in my experience, it can get pretty divided pretty fast. Like peace doesn't seem to be what I associate with the worldly wisdom, right? It's almost like Newton's lesser known law as the number of smart people in a room increases, the number of, uh, the amount of peace decreases or something like that. But it's just the opinions, we're all like that. More opinions, more thoughts, more this, more that. Not more peace in those scenarios. And James is saying that God's wisdom, as it's lived out in the lives of his followers, will bring about peace. That through mercy and gentleness and blessings, that it loves peace, it's consistent. It's the kind of wisdom that can build unified, peaceful, godly communities. And clearly James' definition of wisdom is much more than knowledge, as we've kind of already figured out. Does this kind of wisdom seem impossible to you a little bit? It is, he's saying a lot with this word. This definition is like miles long now. Um, it's almost like it's unachievable on our own, maybe. Like maybe we might perhaps maybe possibly need a deity of some kind if we could find one that might help us be wise like this. So as bold of a statement as it may be to say that wisdom equals peace, I think James is drawing from who I expect would be his favorite of all of his brothers, or at least I hope, Jesus. Can you imagine if somebody asked him that? Who's your favorite sibling? Like, well, besides Jesus? Um, so in Matthew 5, verse 9, in the Beatitudes, we've got that one specifically about peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. 
If you're wondering why I say blessed instead of blessed, it's because it's 2021. So, yeah, there you go. But Jesus speaks directly to peace and people who bring about peace. He blesses them specifically. He says that they're in line with what God wants and he promises that they will be children of God. Peace is a big deal to Jesus. There's also this whole idea like peace, you know, we have a lot of ideas about what that word means, but um, in the way that James is talking about it too, and peacemaking, and Jesus talks about that in the uh, Beatitudes, is about unity, about oneness. And Jesus has a lot to say about oneness. <clears throat> in John chapter 17, he's praying for the disciples and praying for those who will come after the disciples. And he says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word, through what the disciples will preach and share. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we're one. I'm in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Man, that kind of peace, that kind of oneness does not characterize the church in the United States at all. Yeah. And I would say that it, it's not the thing I think a lot of people would think of of any given church. Now, I don't want to speak about everybody, but I think in ours, that's not the case. Yeah. Oneness would not be this thing that he's talking about that communicates to the world that we're one in Jesus, one in God. It's pretty sad. And I think one downside about this point is that peace and division are just not an issue in our churches. They're also an issue in our, our country, you know? Yeah. It has never been more divided than it is right now. At least I think a lot of people agree on that, maybe. <laughs> We're one in that regard. But that's unfortunate. That's the unfortunate fruit of our human wisdom. The opposite of peace. Human wisdom, talked about everything has fruit. Human wisdom seems to be leading to division disunity. Godly wisdom leads to peace and unity. So I think we are seeing the kind of fruit that we should have expected to get. Do you ever wonder how things would look if the church in the U.S. was really filled with God, godly wisdom? Wouldn't there be just an ocean of humility? This massive amount of people, I don't, I don't, it didn't look up any statistics, but they think there's still tons of Christians in the United States. There would be so many humble people if we were all locked into God's wisdom. And wouldn't there be tons of peace everywhere? Or at least um, a huge statistic of number of people would have it and be bringing it. Wouldn't we all be one? Wouldn't we look radically different from the rest of the world? And yet also we'd be a notable blessing to the world. Humility and peace. If that was what we were really characterized as. I think that really, ah, oh man, I just, it really stuck out to me. I think we're getting the fruit that we should have expected. That's kind of a, a, a somber note there, but I, I do want to say that I think this is really good news in a lot of ways. This section, this passage should be really good news. I know James really hits hard. That means that a lot of these sermons have had like a pretty bitter dose of medicine in them. I think it's kind of just impossible to avoid. But please realize that this really is good news. This is the way God works. Isn't that so good? This is the kind of wisdom God has. 
a humility and peace-loving wisdom. Yeah. His wisdom can't be experienced without being shared with others. It's hard to be humble in a room on your own, <laughs> you know? I don't think it really counts. It's hard to have peace just in your own self, on your own. Unity. You've got to have more people. We have a God who, that's the way he works when he imparts wisdom to us. It brings about humility. It brings about peace. And he's simply begging you to just let go of your own ways and your own desperate attempts at wisdom and let him give it to you. It's really good news. We don't have to figure out how to get there. We don't have to figure out all these like loops and loopholes about, you know, a business book that teaches you how to be wise or whatever. God's saying like, let him do it. And when we do give it up, when we just give it up to him, he's telling us here that it will change our entire lives. His kind of wisdom will change how we live our lives. And it'll bless those around us. We just have to let go of our death grip on our life and trust God. Increase our faithfulness, just that the worship team was talking about today. So to close things out, I I wanted to give three assignments. The first is just to read this section of James a few times. Basically, I think one of the homeworks we've always given is some amount of read James, all of it, read a little piece or whatever. Keep doing that, but specifically hone in on this section this week. Swap up the like translation you read a little bit, if you're willing. Read that message one some more. Um, do a few if you'd like. But definitely read that multiple times this week. Try to let it soak in. Second thing I'd say is examine yourself. Take some time to journal or pray this week. Ask God to show you where your life doesn't look like his wisdom. Where's that breakdown between the right thinking that we have and the right living that we have or don't have yet? Is your life characterized by humility or not so much? Do people notice that about you? Is that a notable characteristic that comes across to them quickly? Or do you bring, do you bring and spread and make peace where you go? People know that about you. This is something that stands out. Where does God's wisdom need to replace whatever ever other wisdom that you're holding on to in your life? Spend some time thinking about that and praying about that, asking God to show that to you. And as I was thinking about my grandmother, in that example I used earlier, I, I, this is the, the, the third assignment. Um, I hope that each of you have had at least one person in your life who's been a really good example of what it looks like to follow Jesus, or at least a mediocre one. And so um, maybe it's a family member, a friend, mentor, youth pastor, or something like that. Maybe it's a friend you have right now who, who you live with or something. Um, but spend some time this week recalling what has affected you about their relationship with Jesus. The relation I had about it not being my grandmother's knowledge, you know, that actually affected me and others. It wasn't Focus's knowledge of God whenever I first started coming around that affected my life, that changed my life. Spend some time trying to figure out and jot down what made a difference to you about that person's relationship with Jesus. What did you admire about their faith? Was it their knowledge or was it the way they lived? How so? I want to close just reading the, um, that passage one more time. Uh, I'm going to read the message one to close out and then I'm going to pray. Do you want to be counted wise, to build a reputation for wisdom? Here's what you do. Live well, live wisely, live humbly, 
It's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. Mean-spirited ambition is not wisdom. Boasting that you are wise is not wisdom. Twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise is not wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish plotting. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart. Everyone ends up at each other's throats. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along well with others. It's gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. Lord, we really, really need this wisdom. Help us to realize the ways that we are looking to other things for wisdom, God. Thank you for this picture of what it should look like. Thank you for being a God who works this way. Who, as you give out wisdom, it creates communities that are peaceful, are humble, that treat each other with dignity and honor. Invite others in that are merciful, gentle, reasonable, that bless others. Lord, we really, really need you. Help us to seek your wisdom and actually let it affect our lives. Help us to change the basic fundamental ways that we live our lives, God. Thank you so much for generosity, Lord, for exemplifying so many of these things so perfectly in your Son. Lord, give us grace. Give us grace with each other. And um, Lord, help us be unified. Help us be humble. Lord, help us just increase our faith in you. Lord, help us to step out in ways that, that force us to really rely on you where our comfort and our intellect and whatever else don't extend and where we really have to hold on to you. Lord, thank you so much for this community. God, I pray that you would change us. You're the only one who can. In your name I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week, and you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.